hello and welcome to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. I am your host, Adam A. Donaldson, and joining me today is... Peter Wesley Salmon. Hope you all are doing well down in the Southwest. (laughs) I was just going to say, sorry, I got a bit surprised by... uh by my own script and starting the show i think i had a brain fart there which is fine because we're we're recording on a long weekend so it's uh maybe understandable yeah oh yeah after uh <laughs> canada day right yeah that big canada day hangover you're right yeah <laughs> or just the big hangover resulting from canada day yeah just you know too many craft beers and uh what are what are like some canadian delicacies we might have had on canada day nanamo bars Sure, <laughs> but I did. Have, I, I had a couple butter tarts, so there you go. Oh, that's a good one. Uh, Yukon gold potatoes. Yep, yep, yeah. Five <laughs> Guys usually has that. The American uh, chain. That's right. That's right. All right, that's enough Canadiana. End credits is a local movie show for local movie fans. We're here every Wednesday at three p.m. to talk the latest in pop culture and review the newest movies. Which this week will be the new meta sci-fi comedy, Asteroid City which you can now see at a theater near you. Uh, Before that, though, we have one more entry in our Indiana Jones revisit, and perhaps the most controversial entry of all. Uh, But we'll discuss that more in a minute. (laughs) Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. and I were obsessed with the Mitchell Hedges skull in college. How do you know about it? Are you kidding? That's all you talked about. You talk about that thing where the cows come home. Was it just like an idol? A deity carving, Mesoamerican. There are a number of crystal skulls in the world. I saw one in the British Museum. Interesting craftsmanship, but that's about it. All right, we'll laugh if you want. Oxley said he found it this time. He said this was real, and he was off to a place called Akator with it. Akator? He said that. Yeah. You're sure? That's what he said. He said Akator. What is it? So, uh, I think we when we did Raiders a couple of weeks ago, Peter, you said it had been a while uh, since you had revisited Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. So Yes, yes. Uh, and I, I just did. And I don't know, for me, in millennial, <laughs> it definitely holds up. I still enjoy it. Um, I think there's definitely some flaws, but I don't think it holds any that uh the first three don't have right like you know racism just the the occupation being dated itself right (laughs) um but no i i'll tell you one thing i'll tell you what surprised me the most is how well the visuals uh held up Mm -hmm. i watched it and the fire ants were actually i was still impressed with them even if it was a current film if the fire ants were like that uh, as long as the budget wasn't like over a hundred million, I- I'd be okay with it. I'd, I'd-, I'd accept it. Uh, I wouldn't judge the film. So, I'd say that was my uh, the most dominant. What what took me aback in the rewatch. Um, but honestly, like Shia LaBeouf, um, I don't think he was awful. I enjoyed hmm. him. I really think a lot of people just didn't like his son being a greaser. <laughs> I guess being being someone who's I guess that they were <gasps> tempting to be cool. 
Um, because I guess, and I, I don't mean this in like the right, the like the subculture, there's a lot of nerd uh Indiana Jones fans, right? So I could see mm. why they did not enjoy Shia LaBeouf. Um, but I, I think his character has a lot of uh, lovable qualities, you know. I think uh, he's in the right a lot of the time, so I'm glad that he, you know. Reminds Indiana Jones that he referred to him as, as son too quick. You know, he's he's a bold man, but about real things. He cares about family. He loves his mom. I don't know. I just I don't fully understand myself what was so hateable about him. Why 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 so many hated him? Um did did you hate Mutt? Were you a Mutt hater? I didn't hate Mutt. I, I think there are a couple of things. I, I think first to, to go with your point i think the whole greaser thing is a little on the nose um the uh the the part where he comes riding in like marlon brando and i think it's the the wild one um that that is a direct homage to when he comes in on the motorcycle wearing the the, the pork pie hat and everything in the leather yeah jacket. yeah exactly i i guess you can argue that um kingdom of the crystal fall made um the decade more made elements of the decade more prevalent than in the first three so kind of pushed it into your face that yeah like this is the yeah 50. yeah whereas in the other one sometimes like it's set the times it's set isn't fully clear like the <laughs> villains are like always the nazis you can tell it's like the 30s but it's not <laughs> uh other elements of the 30s aren't like shoved into your face right um, yeah. Whereas, yeah, the leather jackets, the direct references to uh, 50s films that you're talking about, um, a little in your face. But, like, I, I think it's also how they show that he's a kid, like, he's a teen, like, he's still a young. And, of course, like, the culture of the 50s is going to be more present. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they definitely uh, make that too much of a heavy focus. I think that's what's... Um... That was one of the things I noted when I saw the movie in 08. Uh, and that I actually find less annoying now is that that like nostalgia trip for the 50s and the, that rubbing in your face, like at the scene at the beginning where he's surrounded by the Russians and Kate Blanchett <laughs> says any last words and he says, I like Ike. That's like, uh, that's a little, uh, that's a little too on the nose. <laughs> yeah, no, no, for sure. There's definitely lines <laughs> like that. I think though it's, maybe partially or if it's in the upcoming one dial of destiny it definitely will be purposeful mm. it's trying to make it clear that not campy but that like it's it's an adventure so there can be some more i guess cliche lines but you know what makes you know what makes i don't know well have speaking as uh someone who has seen dial of destiny i i will say what the thing that makes it work is that um Indiana Jones is in full crotchety old man mode so that um, when he's like confronted by stuff like, uh, you know, the, the hippies next door playing loud music on the, the day of the the uh, ticker day parade for um, the Apollo 11 astronauts, it's, it's done from a place of like, <laughs> of, you know, uh, look at these kids and their rock music kind of vibe. Um yeah, but I, I think it was trying to do that in Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. Not necessarily that he's against it, but that like he is the older generation. There's, you know, the yeah. world is is changing. Um, but I can, especially now with Dial of Destiny, what you just said, I can see that not being clear enough of the point. And yeah, it just kind of coming off as campy lines. 
yeah, there's there's definitely it be, it feels too specific in places, which I I think. But to get back to the Shia LaBeouf of it, um, I think I I'm not sure he was correctly cast. I understand why Shia LaBeouf was cast. He was kind of the it boy of the moment. You know, Spielberg was a mentor, um, because Spielberg, you know, was the executive producer of Transformers, and so th- there was a definite sort of uh a bit of mentorship there i think when you look at the mutt indie relationship and then you think about the relationship between indie and his father um there's this through line in in that other relationship where it's like they're kind of two peas in a pod even though they've kind of loathe to admit it um they both sort of end up in the same field they they both have these sort of <laughs> you know they both are you know allow themselves to be seduced by the same woman nazi woman um that, that there's there's this feeling like they're, they're they have more one of the reasons that there's a friction in their relationship is because they have more in common than they want to admit and i think in the mutt indie relationship it's just, it's maybe too much of look at how different this kid is uh compared to although he also I, I, wasn't there where Shia LaBeouf was there for more of Indiana Jones's childhood, I think. So, mm. right? No, Indiana Jones wasn't in his life at all. No, no, no. But I mean, like Sean Connery's character was in Indiana oh. Jones' life, right? Not right. like yeah, yeah, to yeah, an yeah. old age, but yeah, he definitely that's was. Right. So, yeah, of I mean, course, that, there's going to be more similarities. I, yeah. I do want to say, like, uh, Indiana Jones' job, he's a, you know, uh, I guess archaeologist, uh, mm-hmm. archaeologist. And, um, <laughs> You know, uh, that's physical work, but mm. related to, you know, I guess uh, the arts or sciences, nature. Uh, and Charlotte Booth, the uh, character, uh, Mutt Williams, is an uh, engineer, right? Related to construction and related to, uh, you know, like sciences. There's there, there's some similarities and they both have a, a warm heart, you know, mm. how to throw a good punch. So mm. there's some similarities, but yeah, I guess not as well displayed as, as Sean Connery and Harrison Ford, Indiana Jones and Jones yeah. Sr. I think there's some moments where, where Harrison Ford and, and Shia LaBeouf have a good chemistry, but I, I just, it's um something about it just doesn't quite work, but I think Shia LaBeouf gets unfairly maligned for that. I think he, he did about as well as anyone was going to do in that part. Uh, oh, absolutely. So who, what, what actor, is there anybody in particular you think, could have done a better job is there any kind of characteristics do you think he should have been like bulkier or or <laughs> like i don't know i can't really because he was a greaser is it just because he's uh shy labeouf like i don't know it could be the labeoufness i yeah it, it could be i mean it could be also i've seen those transformers movies he's in one too many times that mm-hmm. it's like the for to associate him with like this like screaming man child yeah <laughs> whereas for my whereas for my generation i think because it even stevens even though oh, like yeah, we watch transformers yeah. too it's always going to be even where he is more of a genuinely just good actor in it so i think that might have been part of the reason my gen did like getting the crystal skull more but i i absolutely because of transformers of course it, it it is hard to view him as someone else or at least get rid of the mindset transformers gives you mm-hmm. yeah but but overall i you know i think it could have been it could have been worse 
um uh, you well you'll you'll we'll discuss it more when you review it but um you know was there any kind of Shia LaBeouf equivalents in the newest was there any kind of casting you looked down upon or uh no I think I mean, I don't look down on the casting of Shia LaBeouf. I, I, I think that where Dial of Destiny benefits, and and the thing I that still kind of sticks in my craw about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, Dial of Destiny at least feels like it was a vision everybody was dedicated to one hundred percent. Yeah. So, okay. um, you know, when you like character Phoebe Waller bridge plays, there's the the villain played by Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, there's kind of like a hench villain played by Boyd Holbrook. Um, who else is in there? Uh, Banderas. And uh, I mean, everybody feels like they're working off the same page. And if you go back, you have to go back into the history of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where it's like they were working on a script from since like 91. It went through like several iterations, uh, you know, big writers from like Frank Darabont to, to Jeff Nathanson all worked on it. Um, and what eventually at the end of the day, because Lucas had his mindset, it's going to be 1950s and we're going to do aliens and Spielberg and Ford were both like, no, we don't want to do aliens. <laughs> but Lucas is like, well, I'm the executive producer. So what I say goes, um, that was my George Lucas impression. Uh, <laughs> Good. they, they get this, they get this compromised story and script that everyone's like, okay, we want to do an Indiana Jones movie. George wants to do aliens. <laughs> we all want to do something different. So this is, and, and this is how you get kingdom of the crystal skull, which is a movie about searching for aliens where no one ever uses the word alien. And I think that's the, like, if you're going to go with aliens, just use the word, it. just use yeah. the, you, like no one says UFO, no one says spaceship. And then there's the thing at the end where, um, you know, it's like, oh, they're not aliens. They're interdimensional beings. They're traveling in space between spaces. It's like, come on. It's a UFO. <laughs> this is a UF. This temple is a UFO. Just admit it. <laughs> Just, Just it's going it. to Be space. Brave. Be <gasps> brave and admit it. Say that word. It's going back to its home planet. <laughs> Yeah. Just, just say it. <laughs> Though I will say I like the scene. I like I do like that scene in the end where the UFO is spinning up and it's like all the debris is like spinning around it and then the UFO kind of like disappears and the like that that's a, a really beautiful effect shot. Um Yeah, it, yeah. It's uh well and actually uh, funnily related to uh what we'll be reviewing. But um yeah, that's true, that, that, true. if it was a totally separate film, like a lot of the alien parts in Kid of the Christmas Club would be great, but it's just yeah, you know who it is, you know it's an Indiana jones and it just does not yeah ever fully fully work um i mean there's I'm a way they could have done it only, the only great thing about them not seeing alien and you mm -hmm. even though they like have it with them you don't see the crystal skull too much sometimes you kind of forget while watching the adventure going on that it's like alien theme because you know you just i at least i think go where they're going it's like a temple you know i i i don't it being an alien they're going towards isn't doesn't overtake my enjoyment of whatever the adventure is they're doing but you know maybe that's just me well i mean it, it just because it's a crystal skull it doesn't mean that mean have to be alien but um i i think I, you're you know you're right it's like it's an indiana jones adventure built around this conceit that nobody wants to fully invest in and you know <laughs> there there's there 
like the whole thing with the trekking through the jungle and the the whole the, the temples guarded by the living dead and um like even the end like the the Kate Blanchett character the the Soviet scientist who's uh Elena Spilko that's her name um the, the fact that you know she get, her end comes with as is what kind of in both Raiders and Last Crusade um where the villain gets what they want in the end and it destroys them yeah like even that's fitting with an indiana jones story it's just it just sticks in my craw it's like it's an alien just call it an alien it's okay if it's an alien it's okay if that's what you want to do it's an alien but just just do it and i i i do wonder at the same time how much of this movie had kind of like the unintended side effect of adding credence to like ancient alien. Th- I mean, I, I love that show. It's a guilty pleasure, but um, I, d- I do wonder how much responsibility that has in terms of putting gasoline on that fire. Oh, are you referring to that history channel show? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. I, yeah, I'm very, I'm very curious. I'm very curious. Um, I have a, what would that have been airing around 2008 when this came about? It's like in season nineteen, so oh, okay. it was like so just yeah, getting definitely. going. Hey, I don't know. It wouldn't surprise me if they had it playing in the background in like the writers' room or something. That that's yeah, that's fun. <laughs> I didn't think of that. Hey, it's related to more uh, in that show. It is related more to uh, like ancient history and such, just like Indiana Jones' uh, favors. So mm-hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. interesting. You know, maybe George Lucas had, you know, is he a genius? Was he above <laughs> the other? Was he he ahead of them? Was he ahead of his times? Um, that's that's a good debate for another time. But um, I'm curious. Did you watch this on Disney Plus, or did you? Yeah, I watched it on uh, Disney Plus. Okay. Um, why is it is it different than? Well, I have a DVD copy, and the version on Disney Plus has a better like coloring and saturation like in, in the original version oh, okay okay it has um, this kind of very soft light kind of soap opery look soap opera look to it i don't know why i said soap opery but uh, <laughs> it has this kind of like soft light look to it which it was yeah it was beautiful well like i said the first thing i noticed was how it still uh, holds up visually right so that might be uh in part due to the disney plus version they've ch- yeah they've changed the coloring a bit which is something i immediately noticed um, and I, th- I saw somebody online say like adds a whole star to the movie. I don't know if I'd go that far, but it definitely makes the movie look better, um, and and kind of makes it less. I don't know if it was annoying the way it looked before with all that soft light, but it was just something like I could never get out of my head watching the movie. It just it's like this looks so badly lit. This like well, it's so it. oversaturated with light. It's it's just kind of an irksome and and I'm so watching it on Disney Plus. I found was a, a an improved experience. Yes, absolutely. I kind of want to watch it now on DVD though, just to see uh, how much of a difference I notice. Yeah, it's I I I watched a bit of it. I put on the DVD after I'd watched it on Disney Plus. I put on the DVD and it's, it's immediately noticeable. Okay, interesting. It's an immediate improvement. Yeah. yeah. So, would you still, with your rewatch, would you still say it's your least favorite of the? Uh, well, I guess you've seen all of them. Though, is it still? Would you say the worst, objectively worst, your least favorite? <laughs> I would. I would say Temple of Doom is objectively the worst, but I do understand people definitely not loving Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I mean, it's. Um, I, I do I, think millennials though enjoyed it more than. Uh, the other gens and i do think there's been like a recent you know like entertainment weekly like 
Variety People mags about um, uh, how we should kind of look back on on Shia LaBeouf's character. Mm. Um, you really enjoyed the newest, so you know I, I understand you maybe not agree with that, but yeah, so that's think, part of the reason I, why I, think I really lot, don't think yeah, it's the worst. I think a lot of it is yeah, what you grow up with, and I think that's the same with the Star Wars movies. Like there are a lot of young people who were kids when the prequels came out like that's their star wars experience and there's going to be a lot of young people who went to the theater when the sequel trilogy came out and that's going to be their star wars experience so like in, i'm sure in 10 years you'll be hearing about people like you know rise of skywalker wasn't so bad but um yeah for sure oh well like yeah revenge of the sith uh once it was my generation that became you know uh like writers for uh hollywood papers uh, you know about Star Wars, even Hayden Christensen started to get a bit more respect, you know? So, yeah, you're mm. absolutely right. It just depends on, I guess, who, whatever the generation is loving and who the film's being directed towards. No, it's true. Um, and I, I, I find ranking the Indiana Jones movies kind of like a hollow exercise because, and I, and I wrote about this recently, it, you know, it's all the lists are essentially the same. It's like, Kingdom of the Crystal Skull and Temple of Doom, and then whether or not Last Crusade or Raiders is your your number one. I think again, largely depends on um, which which one you saw first and or which one you saw in the theater. Like for me, I saw Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in the theater, so it may be like a personal favorite. Like because mm -hmm. it's, it's you know it's a very personal memory for me. It's because it was you know me and my dad. It was like literally the last day that the movie was in theater, so it was just me and him in the theater watching uh, Last Crusade. Yeah. Uh, okay. Well, that's fair. Yeah. Um, that's that's absolutely fair. But I, I I at the same time I'm like well I I can't ignore the technical excellence of Raiders and like none of the movies have been been able to catch that. No. Uh, no. Um. But yeah, I mean, is is Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Is it as good as the first three movies i don't think so but on the other hand um and, and i have this feeling about the dial of destiny too um uh, it, it, i saw it less than 24 hours ago so i'm, I'm still not exactly mm -hmm. sure where it falls in the the paradigm but um it's it's perfectly entertaining but i think it, it, one of the things it has in common with kingdom of the crystal skull it's that it's like not of its time it's like the Indiana Jones movies are a very, I mean, yes, people have been enjoying them for 30 years, 30, 40 years, but they are very much of their time that they were made by filmmakers who were interpreting the things they saw as kids and, and um, creating new things out of that. Nowadays, we're, we're not even doing that. We're not even doing like the, the the successor to indiana jones we're still making indiana jones movies and yeah we're not at the uh, you know point where we're doing prequels and such instead no we're still yeah just the direct lineation of uh yeah. indiana jones <laughs> right so it's uh, that that's the other thing and i don't want to make this too much about dial of destiny but you know it, it going into it i was not that in, I was enthused or I, I wasn't even as enthused as i was going into king of the crystal skull because it's just like well Lucas has sold his stake. Lucas isn't involved. Spielberg bailed. Um, so I mean, well, you, you like Mangold too, right? I like I like Mangold a lot, and I think he did a really good job um, uh, uh, on Dial of Destiny. I I think um, he I think that's one of his gifts as a filmmaker is being able to take whether it's Wolverine 
or this, he's able to take things that um, have enormous pressures to succeed and please and have have an all audience um, pleasing reaction, and he's able to deliver. Um, but I, I just going into the going into it, I'm like, Lucas is bailed, Spielberg is bailed, you know. Ford's taught like all Harrison Ford. It's my last one. It's my last one. It's, it feels like an obligation. So how, how, how can it sort of compete with what's come before, at least on kingdom of the crystal skull, everybody wanted to be there no matter how you feel about the story or, or, or how it turned out. Um, that wasn't the case with dial of destiny. And so I, I wonder in the future, revisiting that movie where it sits next to kingdom of the crystal skull does it start to show more of its bones over time as opposed to kingdom of the crystal skull which i think people are rightly looking back looking back at now and going you know what is there goofy stuff like with the groundhog at the beginning or like when, <laughs> yeah right the groundhog when mud but... is like swinging through the trees or when like ray winstone is constantly screaming jonesy um, yeah <laughs> yeah but, but there's I... the more there's the more evident to the the one I love though, but that is a little camp, is when in the diner, it's literally the one side's all greasers, the other all jock, and they <laughs> they have like a fight. That's that's I think one of the good examples though, where it's like sappy but works. Yeah. Um, and maybe like there's it's like that a Dial of Destiny possibly or. Well, and that leads into like a really great action sequence where they're being the chase through the streets of. Exactly. It's fine. It's fine if it if it intertwines well with with the plot. And yeah, mm -hmm. I think that's a good one. But one that I can also see viewed as being kind of campy. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Like there, there's a lot of good. Like, there are a lot of good action sequences. Like the sequence in the warehouse where he escapes and and they end up on the rocket sled thing. Um, you mentioned it before. Like the fire ants. That's still a really great sequence with um where they're running from the fire ants and uh John Hurt pulls the the shroud from the skull and the ants go around them and so they're surrounded and, by uh, these <laughs> waterfalls too the waterfalls are really well done the, the waterfall waterfalls. sequence is good yeah yeah and i love the temple stuff i love like the the secret like having to solve your puzzles through as, as you go through the temple and uh the various death traps and things i, I think a lot of that is is really well executed it's i, but I think with objective flaws but sure. that is why it's it like you said everybody's looking back at it and why that's important to do mm -hmm. our mindset of what the focus on is has changed mm -hmm. yeah it's i i think people were focusing on like nuke the fridge became a thing and it's like is that any more ludicrous than anything else that has ever happened in an annie jones movie like there was this like there's a scene in the temple of doom where they rip out a guy's beating heart while he's still alive and then lure him into lava I mean, is that any less ludicrous than Indiana Jones stuffing himself inside a lead-lined fringe to escape a nuclear explosion? No, I'd say it's actually, if anything, maybe even more ridiculous. <laughs> right. You know, it's people got hung up on, I think, a lot of the wrong things that... And now those flaws won't be the focus, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I, I, I think... I mean, I was always kind of soft on... Indiana Jones and the Kingdom of the Crystal Skull. I wasn't one of those people like you're ruining it. You're ruining it. It's I always I always appreciated it as a fun adventure that it was. I think I probably slightly appreciate it more now as a matter of craft, especially since they fixed the darn coloring. But um, I I think I don't think it is. I don't think of it as a lesser or, or strictly in terms of it being a lesser product. 
than the previous three films. I think it, I don't think it reaches that those highs of especially of Raiders, but I also don't think it's like the the redheaded stepchild. It's not the cousin Oliver of the franchise that I that I think it got treated as in two thousand and eight. No, no. Uh, any additional thoughts about Kingdom of the Crystal Skull? Um, no, pretty much everything you said spot on. It it it's, uh has some objective flaws, but some objective greats too. And I'm glad it is getting a reanalysis. Um. And yeah, no, I, I, I personally, I think especially like for the millennials, it's uh, it really works well. Mm-hmm. I also want to point out too, it was the second highest grossing film of 2008 behind the dark Knight. Only the dark Knight made more money in 2008 than Indiana Jones did. Okay. Yeah. So I, mean, I, I, th- I thought it still did good. I saw it in theaters, I think maybe even twice. So, <laughs> there you yeah, go. so it's, it's, it's a bit of a, Pharisee that this was like a a black mark on the franchise it was it was it it was extremely popular um we haven't really given her due I'm just looking over my notes to see what we might have missed we haven't really given her due but like Kate Blanchett as the villain I I... really wait you liked a lot I liked her a lot yeah I guess I don't know her I would say her accent is a little not great. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I think, her, but I guess she's supposed to be like more of a campy, evil Nazi villain, mm-hmm. um, similar to Raiders of the Lost Ark. I guess. I, a, I I don't know. I think it could be a little over the top sometimes. I think I think that suits it though. I think um, I think the the film needed something a little more over the top, a, a, and I think it sort of raises to the level again. The whole we're not they're aliens we're not calling them aliens things um <laughs> it feels a bit odd that spilko never says the word alien either um mm-hmm. because she very clearly is with it and she's like talking about roswell and all that also um i've noticed people uh noting her hairstyle in the film and then noting michelle williams's hairstyle in the fablemans as spielberg's mom <laughs> okay probably yeah reflection off of each other so you think her or would you say her hair uh kate blanchett's hairstyle is based on his mom i don't know i just uh people have been pointing out that it's a bit weird that michelle williams playing spielberg's mom has the same hairdo as kate blanchett and so does that mean his mom was like not not let's see that's interesting anyways um <laughs> well again, it's, it's I, I, russians I, remember it's russian i think it just depends on how you want to view the the villain and, and if you want to view her as an over-the-top just objectively antagonistic individual i get it i think her accent could come off a little not great and not in a purposeful way so kind of like um mm. uh ryan gosling notebook sort of thing mm. um <laughs> but yeah it's good to know that there is people like you that uh enjoy your character in it i i think i i think all the characters to an extent all the villains to an extent have been a bit over the top and uh i i'm i'm, I'm fine with it anyway i, I do like- appreciate her roswell comment i do enjoy um the evidence she gives towards it being aliens you know we get the most from her and, and i do like that 
It's a good way of showing too how like yeah she's working with the Nazis or whoever they are, but she the uh, Soviets has the Soviets yeah, and she has her own uh, plans. She's got she's got her own plans too. She's she's an independent individual. Well, speaking of independent individuals, we are going to move on and talk about the new movie from Wes Anderson, Asteroid City. You are listening to End Credits here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. Of me. Uh huh. Why? I'm a photographer. You didn't ask permission. I never ask permission. Why not? Because I work in trenches, battlefields, and combat zones. Really? Uh huh. You mean you're a war photographer? Mostly. Sometimes I cover sporting events. My name is Augustine Beck. Mm hmm. What are you going to do with that? That picture. Hmm. Well, if it's any good, I guess I'll try to sell it to a magazine, now that you mention it. Midge Campbell, eating a waffle. Okay, so that was a clip from Asteroid City. It's the new film from writer and director Wes Anderson, and it stars Jason Schwartzman, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks, Jeffrey Wright, Tilda Swinton, Jake Ryan, Brian Cranston, Edward Norton, and many, many more too many to name although i'm sure we'll get around to naming most of them at this point mm-hmm. in review, some point in this review but uh peter you and i uh reviewed the last wes anderson movie together uh oh, yeah. french dispatch. dispatch yeah so uh fitting that we should come back around to asteroid city because i feel like they're kind of peas in a pod where they're both kind of nostalgic for uh days long gone by but uh we'll get into that too but uh just kick us off with some initial thoughts about asteroid city oh well i personally um was really taken aback by asteroid city um it was better than i anticipated um just like based you know on the reviews uh including a lot of uh not just critics but wes anderson fans you know there was definitely some hate for it um but i saw it and i enjoyed it quite a lot i actually think it is pretty objectively better than the french dispatch i think french dispatch had some great in it but um very very clunky very um uneven whereas i think asteroid city from beginning to end was quite a fun ride um i absolutely do not think it is wes anderson's best work um but i think it is his best in a while Mm -hmm. um and in particular i thought the visuals not even the visuals, but the set design, the miniatures uh, were great in this. Some of the best, you know, that I, I personally have seen uh, in a while. Um, mm-hmm. As you know, some of the close-up shots of the house is really, really well done. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, I also it's um and it, it really does matter for a Wes Anderson film. I um preferred the tame uh, palette colors he used as opposed to more in your face. Uh, Grand Budapest Hotel, very high saturation, a lot mm. of vivid pink. Um, I I mm. prefer the visuals of Asteroid City. Um, at least when it comes to the colorization. Mm. And I thought it was funny too how it's uh, 1950s <laughs> uh, and how much it intertwines with you know we got Oppenheimer and then also the Indiana Jones we discussed, but uh, that it was actually in a weird way I would say less heavy a part of this, um, even though it was quite clearly set in the 50s. Yeah, it's it's interesting that we have those tentacles, um, this kind of. Also, Dial of, of Destiny, too, which is kind of very much about the space, not it, it entirely, but it's about the space age and sort of like what uh, what what the victory in the war wrought in terms of what we, what we understood was victory and, and sort of what victory cost us um, in terms of, you know, how the advancements after the war were, were kind of uh, achieved. Um Maybe we'll come back to that if if anyone else on the show ever wants to visit Dial of Destiny. But um, I have a lot of the same feelings as you. I I think French Dispatch was three fifths of a good movie. I think um, I think this is probably his best one since Grand Budapest Hotel. I'm not big on Isle of Dogs. I'm not either. No. Well, it's also Isle of Dogs, even when like. He released it. Uh, it's dated, right? Like he's not. He's not Japanese. It's, you know, most of the voice actors are and everything. It's, yeah, it, it so felt, it's felt. Yeah, yeah. It's it's not a great film. It felt dated um, even after even as it was being released. Yeah. Um. I haven't revisited. Interestingly, I revisited a couple of weeks ago the Darjeeling Limited, and my estimation of that film actually went up since, um, I saw it when it came out in, oh seven oh eight. I personally love it. I think it's very similar to what we were discussing of uh, Kingdom of the Crystal Fall. It's definitely like very lumpy. There's some objective flaws, but mm. some really great parts uh, that stand out even more so. Mm-hmm. You know, not, not focusing on its flaws. Yeah, it like, also get it also gets the relationship over its... with the main three is is wonderful. Yeah, I was gonna say it also gets over its Wes Anderson enus, if you know what I mean. Yeah, which is fun too because I like Wes Anderson, but he can be a bit you know too in your face about that it's. You know, a Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson can be a bit too Wes Anderson. And that is <laughs> what I enjoy about Darjeeling Limited is it's more just a general film um, or at least visually a general film mm-hmm. with a heavier focus on Wes Anderson's uh, characters, relationships, and dialogue, which can be great, too. Mm-hmm. And you know, that was something that like concerned me going, especially when it opens with like the conceit that you are watching a TV show about a play being performed called Asteroid City. And then you're also watching the, the like all that stuff's in black and white. And then you're also watching a movie Asteroid City where I guess, yes, yeah, I guess it's a supposed play. to be a performance or it um, could be a, a film of the play too. It's something. Yeah. It's something. And it's like, Oh, uh, we, we got to crawl. <laughs> we gotta, it's like the end of Shawshank crawling through that tunnel. Um, yeah. <laughs> but I, I've, I've come to sort of, appreciate that conceit and sort of like a broader per- perspective and it sort of I, I was like writing my notes for this um 
just yeah, it was just kind of like in the background. It was just a, a theme in the background, right? What is reality, I guess? But I, it I, didn't take over uh, uh, the character relationships. You know, it didn't take over other elements of the film. You know, it wasn't I, like a Terrence Malick or something where the, the theme overtakes the whole dialogue and plot and everything. I think he was kind of lampshading how people put his movies under a microscope to sort of like pull apart the DNA of it to understand like what all the influences are and what all the Easter eggs and stuff are. And so you just like, wanted to make that as hard as possible. Yeah. Like what stuff means. I mean, it comes at this weirdo moment where everyone's like using AI to like, Oh, what does Wes Anderson's star Wars look like? And what does Wes Anderson's, I don't know, Hawaii five Oh look like. And it's, you know, it, it it's, it's, it was kind of cute when people started doing it. Now it's just annoying that everyone's like, he said that himself. He's not a fan. <laughs> yeah. And I come, I completely get that. Um, and granted, like the movie was probably in the can and mostly done before a lot of that started, but it, it does feel like um, using that conceit of like the TV show inside of a play inside of a movie um, is, is him saying like, you know, maybe you just, maybe just watch my movies. You don't have to understand everything about them. You don't have to understand like my musical selection process. Cause no. he's also, he's not one of these directors too, like Tarantino and like Kevin Smith who are like talkers who will talk a blue face about all the movies they've made, all the movies they haven't made, all the movies they've watched. Wes yeah, no, doesn't really do that. Yeah. No, he just likes making the films, which I've always, yeah, I've really respected. So it does, it does feel to a certain extent that he he's just like, like just shut up and watch my movie, and I think there's almost like literally a a, a, a point in the film where the the sh- the act Schwartzman playing the actor who's playing the part of Augie is like talking to the director and like what is the point of any of this? And the, the, the director played by Adrian Brody is like it, just just go out and do the play, just go out and do the line as you've always done it. It's so it's okay. You don't have to. You don't have yeah, to understand the motivation. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I thought uh, Adrian Brody was really good in too. The um. Um, the a lot of the black and white scenes, flashbacks or whatever they are, um, not fl- well the I guess the real the real world, mm-hmm. um, or a making of a biopic of the real world. I guess it's um, <laughs> I thought that it was really well done. I thought Adrian Brody and Edward Norton were 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 outstanding, especially like the one um, Jason Schwartzman and Edward Norton scene where you know you find out that they're uh, le- or in the play, I guess or. Mm as the actors in the play or film of the play or whatever, they are, are lovers, right? I think it, it, it's the well, they, it ends with a kiss. They kiss. Yeah. Exactly. Not just a hug. Right. Um, and I thought that was really well done. And Edward Norton's um, voice, the accents, I thought he did great with that. Edward, Edward Norton's having fun mm-hmm. in this, which is, is something he doesn't always look like he's having. No, no, like, no, it's not. It's luckily not an incredible Hulk him. No, it's happy him, which is great. Um, <laughs> And yeah, I would say all around the, the what I was most surprised with, especially because of Elvis and how our mindset kind of has changed towards him. Tom mm. Hanks is amazing. I really think Augie's father-in-law and their relationship was was hilarious. One of my favorites. I was um, amazed how easily he fit into the Anderson Uber. I thought he stuck out like a sore thumb. Nope, I didn't even think of Bill Murray or anything like that at all. I really just did view Tom Hanks as Stanley's act, which was really uh, surprised me. It took me back. So yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's it's so weird because Hanks's oeuvre in his in this latter part of his career is like I'm I'm dad. I'm the lovable dad, like Mr. Rogers, Sully Sullenberger, um, 
even like in a man called Otto, he's essentially playing the dad. He's like he's 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 a uh uh you know a grump, but he he has a good heart. Um, <laughs> castaway, he has so much care for the little ten- for Wilson, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's you know, and in this, he's like he's kind of cold. Uh, he also has a gun in his belt. Yeah, um, <laughs> he has clear contempt for his son-in-law. <laughs> and open, open contempt for him. Yeah. Or, uh, sorry, cons- uh, hatred. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, the scene where he's, um, where the, the three little girls are burying the Tupperware dish with their mother's ashes are in, and he's, like, you know, trying to get them to, like, not do that. And he's, like, he has to go along with them. Um, although he, like, he would rather just, like, sort of, like, take it and... <laughs> It's, it's it's like killing him not to exert some kind of like parental paternal control over the situation. Yeah, but he is he is for his granddaughter, so <laughs> it's, he's a human. He's got a heart, even though yeah, he's yeah, he's he's really great in it. Um, I was also really glad that um, I guess it's this first one because um, I don't think he was a voice in Isle of Dog. Uh, the it, it we, it's now confirmed that Jeffrey Wright is a Wes Anderson regular, and he was really yeah. great as the general. Yeah. Um, and I also what I liked about that, um, it's similar to I apologize for a video game uh, relation, but uh, Hogwarts Legacy set in 1880s. But you can um, be gay in it. Right. I loved how this is set in the 50s. But the head general was a black man. Right. It's there's some, um, you know, it doesn't have to be fully accurate in the past, um, you know, especially when it's a fantasy. So I thought that was great. Well, it's it's a, it's a nostalgia also, trip of a sort. It, it's a nostalgia one, exactly. It doesn't have to be fully real all around. Yeah. Um, and I thought he was just his character was fun. It was really was really great. Um, a lot of people didn't really listen too much to him, but <laughs> Griff Gibson. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, I mean the the uniform, like I I think he's supposed to be like Air Force, um, but like the uniform is not an Air Force uniform. No, no, no. He's just I no no. I according to, he's just the host. Like he's just a common host, so I think he might just dress up because of how much he loves the stargazing conventions. I, I don't know if he actually is that a, could a be. general or if that's a nickname, but it doesn't really matter. It's uh, he's fun. I thought he was good. Tilda Swinton was great. I would have been okay with a bit more of her, um, or at least more of a reason for uh, heavy Dr. Hickenlooper. But again, like she was great. Um, Hickenlooper is such a great like 1950s scientist movie name. Yeah, I also found it so funny. Maya Hawk, right? Yeah. The regular on Wes Anderson, mm-hmm. right? She picked literally, who's her father? Ethan Hawk. Ethan Hawk is in like every Richard Link letter, Austin, Texas. She purposely picked like the a main Wes Anderson, like Austin competitor to her father, right? That's I funny. I was thinking about that the whole time. Um, and I thought she was great too as the teacher. <laughs> I feel so bad for her. <laughs> no, like, she was great with it, and Matt Dillon too, um, as the mechanic. Um, I I didn't expect much from him. I'm just more used to the you know like, uh, you and Dupree kind of guys. So he was mm-hmm. a really fun character in this. Um, I I hadn't thought about the Austin connection, but that is hilarious. Yeah, um, yeah, it's like the whole, <laughs> whole time. Yeah, she was really great. I liked. I like yeah. Rupert framed as the uh, the cowboy to Montana and the way he's like always interrupting her class with like some insight. Um, that's a really that, that was a really great duo. Um, but I mean, the, the thing about this is like, aside from Schwartzman, Johansson, Hanks, Wright, and probably Norton, like everybody, almost everybody in this is like, I'm got, I got my two lines or my two minutes. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, that's what I mean. So I was a bit disappointed with that, but also that would maybe take past the great scenes that uh, Scarlett Johansson, Tom Hanks had, right? Mm-hmm. Um, Midge, Augie. Uh, we also we didn't mention the the I thought like the leads I thought they were great I was uh my wife uh, really hates Scarlett Johansson but uh, oh really she had to wow but now she saw this and I think it's, it's really <laughs> changed her mindset because I, I her character was really fun a really good comment on Marilyn Monroe and other you know icons of the fifties you know Golden Hollywood uh and what the women dealt with um, I mean she, she... And, and how depression was viewed. Um, yeah. But also, also more modern in the sense that now artists kind of use that and take hold of it as a, a style. Mm-hmm. Um, the um, uh, the idol is is kind of displaying that too, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought that was really well done. Her character, I thought Scarlett Johansson was great, and in particular, Mitch Campbell was a, a really <laughs> fun character. Yeah, I, I, I was. She was another one. I was kind of had my eye on in this because yeah, I mean she she did do a voice in Isle of Dogs but I mean that's that's voice work this isn't this is a little bit different like being a character um in in a Wes Anderson movie and yeah I I thought her like kind of cool dryness um was ended up being sort of ideally suited mm-hmm. for, for for the world uh of Anderson and yeah I, like I I found her very interesting her like sort of clinical detachment about her own fame <laughs> and uh, um, you know obviously being like sort of a um, uh, an actress who's sort of only appreciated for her looks and and not really appreciated for her skill and yeah there's definitely that Marilyn Monroe amalgam mm-hmm. and uh, I mean it's also this is very much the story about a woman who's you know seeking valid well not validation but you know sort of seeking um her her place in things whether that's you know as a, as a movie star or as a or as a person um it's interesting that they give her this a, a teenage daughter and that's why that's why all these people are this junior stargazer convention and um so so she has this kind of you know real tangible connection uh to the world and that she has you know a very smart daughter who's very talented but uh she's still looking for something what that is i i love this i love the whole conceit where they're having these conversations between these two little bungalows and it's, it's oh yeah so well, so the well done. yeah it's it's a little thing um and it could have easily been annoying and i think it, it just the, the the convention of it and uh the, the strength of schwartzman i mean how many how many anderson movies has schwartzman been in now he's but he was on rushmore he was in darjeeling uh, yeah. uh i'm looking it up either right way now. there's ones where like he wasn't in it but he was the like head writer for it as well yes i think he had a part in writing one of the let me see let me see let me see let me see this is great to, this is great radio looking at us looking listen to listening to us scroll through the yeah he <laughs> he, he co-wrote uh darjeeling yeah exactly no i'm really glad he's back just in general i was glad to see him again because uh like 2021 um he's only briefly in french dispatch and then sin 2 is just um his voice right additional voices then he's not in a film he was in moonrise and then 2022 there's like nothing there's like the one there there but it doesn't even have wikipedia and Mm -hmm. he's named so it was just like i don't know i thought like did he die was he like (laughs) is he like worried about did he do something awful and like 
trying to hide so he doesn't get me too'd or something. Like I, I was really just concerned. Uh, so this year, seeing him is the main in this that we're discussing, uh, and also the main villain in Spider Man Across the Spider Verse. It was That's right. And also, you could be like the main villain in the upcoming Hunger Games. So good on good on Jason Schwartzman. If you love Jason Schwartzman like me, there is some of us out there. You should definitely watch asteroid city his character his characters his character is actually surprisingly lovable too i uh yeah. there's even the one part like you thought about like leaving his kids but you still don't hate him you still don't hate the guy yeah again it's like kind of this clinical like he's almost too um i i think you understand him to a certain degree like he he has he's having so much trouble reconciling his own grief that he can't like properly tell his kids that their mom died and you know he he's trying to figure it out uh, figure it all out himself uh which is partially why he didn't tell them and now he's like off to his father-in-law who clearly hates him um it's yeah there, there's so much going on that um yeah he's a standout but i mean i was just reviewing all the all the he was in so he, here it is he's in rushmore he was in darjeeling and the, the 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 short that went along with Darjeeling Hotel Chevalier, he was in Mr. Fox. He was in Moonrise. He was in Grand Budapest. Oh, right, I forgot about that. So yeah, he's yeah. He was he's in, in he was oh, in Isle. Was he, co-writer for it. Damn. He co-wrote Isle of Dogs. He was in French Dispatch, and he was a co-writer on that. And then he's in Asteroid City. So I mean, this if there's somebody who gets Anderson. It's Schwartzman, and I think that experience really reads where he's able to just like he's able to just fall into this world. And yeah, his character is kind of aloof and kind of distant, but he gives you a lot to sort of understand where that comes from. I mean, he's a war photographer, so obviously, like being aloof and distant, like when you're in a war zone taking picture of people you have being to be. shot at, you, yeah, you have to be. And I mean, even when he, you know, when he takes the picture of Mitch Campbell at the diner counter, <laughs> it's like that's Mitch Campbell eating a waffle. So I'm sure somebody will like it. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's um, yeah, we get just just enough mm-hmm. from Augie about mm-hmm. him to like him, even though he does have a lot of more uh, firm and interesting qualities. Mm-hmm. Distance. And- and it's just fascinating to me, like Wes Anderson can get like, like let's have Willem Dafoe do one scene. Let's have Marco Robbie do one scene. Let's have Jeff Goldblum uh, do one scene. Or uh, Bob Balaban be like in it like the whole time, but not have a line. That's right. He's just like standing next to the Larkins guys. He's like always next to the main like villain, I think. But never... Or Jarvis Cocker as one of the singing cowboys, but not like the oh, right, singing right, cowboy. Right. And well, Jeff, we, I, I don't want to spoil anything, but like Jeff Goldblum too. But I don't even know. I don't even know if he has really a line. I guess like one line, but it's uh, in passing. It's in passing. Yes. It's, it's okay. It's, it's, it's following the actor playing Augie as he's walking through the set, and you see Jeff Goldblum sitting there talking to somebody else. Okay. Okay. I won't spoil what he, what part he's playing. That's exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But that's yeah. There's just so much like that. But again, like we were saying, the amount of casting doesn't overtake the main characters and the development mm. that they get mm. yeah. yeah i think i think i wasn't i'm admittedly i wasn't sure about asteroid city walking out but i think i like preparing for the show today and us talking about it i think i'm a little more up on it than i i was originally so 
uh, it'll be interesting to revisit it in the future. Um, oh, yeah. Well, and the one great thing about it, too, is it's already made a good amount of money. It actually yeah. broke a record for independent cinema. So I'm yeah. glad that um, Wes Anderson still has some life to him. Made it, made its budget back. So it's. Yeah. Yeah. Wes That's an accomplishment for him. Absolutely. <laughs> so long live uh indie cinema uh yep. the message for today but that's it for this week's show we hope you liked it and you want to listen to us again you can find us on your website at endcreditsradioshow.com you can download it from the Guelph Politicast channel every Friday at Podbean or through your favorite app like Apple, Stitcher, Google, TuneIn and Spotify although Stitcher is coming to an end they're shutting down Stitcher at the end of August so <gasps> yeah mitigate your, mitigate your playlist now uh, and speaking of playlists, you can find the music that you hear on End Credits by opening up Spotify and finding End Credits on CFRU. You can also find us on social media. We're on Facebook at End Credits Radio Show, and we're on Twitter at End Credits Radio. And Peter, where else can people find you out there on the internet? Uh, YouTube and good old Twitter. Uh, well, formerly good old uh, Twitter as <laughs> uh, Mr. Towerack. And on Letterboxd, I go by Peter West and Salmon. And there you go. I'll be back here on CFRU Thursday at 5 p.m. for news and politics and open sources. Guelph with Scotty Hertz. In the meantime, I'm still on Twitter and Instagram at Adam A. Donaldson. Or you can check out my news and politics site, GuelphPolitico.ca. And stay tuned for more great programming here on CFRU 93.3 FM, CFRU.ca, Guelph Campus and Community Radio. We shall return next Wednesday at 3 p.m. for another end credits. And we will see you then.